Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Working for a Living Radio Show, where we present opinions that matter. Tonight we're joined by co-host Jeff Brown and I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Uh, uh, we have some announcements tonight. First announcement is please remember to decline to sign any petition that you're presented with regarding Michigan prevailing wage. That's uh, here in, in Michigan uh, where they're trying to maintain the prevailing wage for union and non-union workers that work on government jobs. So please decline to sign if you're presented with any of those. Uh, we have a second announcement. Uh, we want to congratulate our brothers and sisters at Verizon who successfully negotiated an acceptable contract ending their uh, 40,000 member strike. Congratulations, brothers and sisters. Uh, we're, uh, hearts go, hearts and um, uh, prayers go out to you for all of that. Uh, uh, you've been through a tough time, and we're glad that you've gotten through that. Uh, third announcement here is uh, the UAW Local 9 uh, workers at the Huntingwell plant in South Bend, Indiana, uh, after rejecting their contract, remain locked out of their plant by management since Monday, May 9th. Uh, we would like to note that while the IUAW called for support of the Verizon workers, the IUAW has not called for support of its own strikers at Local Union 9. Another announcement, uh, the Chicago Sheet Metal Workers, Local Union 43, founded in 1892. Now, that's a long time ago, uh, over 100 and, geez, 16, 8, 24 years ago, 124 years uh, but after rejecting their contract on May 31st, they went out on strike on June 1st. Since then, a new agreement has been re- reached, and the president has authorized the pickets to be taken down and that they return to work at the current wage. On this new tentative agreement, uh, their vote is scheduled for June 7th. If it happens to fail uh, to be ratified, Local 73 will be back out on strike on June 8th. Uh, that's, I believe, uh, that's going to be a uh, Tuesday vote, and uh, if that, that fails, they'll be back on strike on Wednesday. So we wish our brothers and sisters at Local Union 73 all the best as they consider this new tentative agreement. Uh, item number five for the announcements. Unfortunately, after a reported argument on Friday, June 3rd, in the parking lot of UAW Local 551 in Chicago, two newly elected officials were each shot in the leg. Our team's prayers go out to everyone involved in this tragic occurrence. We hope that everybody there that uh, is involved or even uh, remotely involved in this uh, affair as well. Uh, Certainly we don't condone that, but uh, it's just a tragic thing that happened. We we just can't say enough about the two people that were shot, and we hope that they're going to be okay. Our prayers go out with you. Uh, some email uh, and uh, comments. Uh, these were emails to men. First, uh, uh, thank you for covering the art update for Art's ongoing, Art Peterson's ongoing appeal. Our group is watching this close. That's from Patty, and she's from disputethis.org. They have their website there, and that's the group name. Uh, and Patty's watching this and her group and watching this uh, uh, appeal of Art Peterson's very closely. So thank you for paying attention, Patty, and uh, for all of the support you've given Art. Uh, second email, here's Leroy. Before the holiday break, you talked about a candidate for high-level office in Michigan that would be making the news. Was this uh, Was that Melissa Gilbert? Herb from Florida. Uh, yeah, Herb, uh, it was. We had some inside information early on uh, in the uh, um, matter that was unfolding, and uh, you saw this where she had withdrawn from the race uh, Tuesday before the holiday weekend uh, since our last show, and uh, you heard her here first. Um, as it turned out, uh, there was another candidate who was 
uh, lacking a few signatures, or she had uh, 1,200 that she turned in, uh, second candidate, uh, that may have been on the ballot, uh, and someone on behalf of Melissa Gilbert, uh, her, her uh, not her, her team, but uh, on behalf of trying to keep just Melissa Gilbert in the race, uh, had filed an, uh, a challenge to uh, Miss Keefe, K-E-E-F-E, uh, her, her petitions. Uh, so there were 1,200 signatures. Uh, the Secretary of State originally counted 1,018 good ones. She counted 1,010 good ones when it was all said and done. When they ch- and the challenge uh, said there were 806. Uh, Secretary of State counted yet again at 1,058. And the board of state board of canvassers counted, and they had 920. So there were numbers all over the board. There were three of them above a thousand in requirement. And uh, so uh, after Melissa Gilbert resigned, they thought they could just replace some, uh, her uh, in the primary election and have a writing candidate. But the Michigan law does not provide for that. Uh, so I went down to the State Board of Canvassers, uh, Herb, and spoke to this issue uh, and made sure that everybody was aware uh, that uh, three things uh, that she had until May 9th, or I'm sorry, May 12th to resign, uh, that the only instance instance after May 12th was in the instance of some demise, her, her physical demise, death, uh, and no other reason, not for health reasons or for being disqualified for moving out of the district or out of the state in this case, because as it is in Michigan, you can actually run for any district and from any residence within the state. Kind of interesting for Congress, that is, for the House of Representatives. Uh, and the last thing was that uh, if there was a name on the ballot, uh, that the the clerks could not put a write-in line on that. So the party was left with uh, no uh, candidate, viable candidate, and no ability to put in a write-in line. And I asked that the, uh, uh, but for the uh, challenge, Ms. Keefe would have had the Secretary of State number of 1,058, and I asked that that be considered in their vote. And uh, they uh, chose not to do that. They don't actually voted prior to my speaking, another faux pas by them. But it is what it is. Uh, we went down there and we straightened it out because everybody thought they could just go ahead and replace her in the primary, and they couldn't do that. It's pretty precluded by law. And that included the attorney for the uh, Phil Reed, the Oakland County, uh, Northern Oakland County, Michigan chair of the Democratic Party, uh, actually filed this uh, challenge. So just to be clear, they couldn't replace her in the primary. They thought they could put somebody in, and I went down and cleaned that up at the State Board of Canvassers that night. The television and media uh, also cleaned it up and reported exactly what the law was, as I indicated at this hearing. Uh, so even the state party, former state party chair, who was the attorney for Phil Reed, got caught flat-footed and had to do some backing up because they found out that they couldn't just anoint somebody like they wanted. We have to go through a process. And they'll consider uh, Ms. Gilbert's uh, withdrawal on August 3rd after the primary. During the general, it's a completely different situation. They can go ahead and uh, and replace her. There's a process to do that. And the state party's taken names. Today's the last day they can file uh, to be considered for that position in August on the August uh, after August 2nd primary and sometime after then the precinct delegates will meet and, and uh, select three people and those people will then select a, a candidate for the general election. And that's how that goes, uh, Herb. Uh, but we did have a pretty major impact on that. So uh, having said that, I've been a long-winded here and haven't got anybody else on. We'll get... Uh, Jeff Brown is in the wings here. Uh, let me bring him on. Say hi, Jeff. How you doing? Pretty good, Leroy. How are you? Um, pretty good. We we had quite a quite a week last week, and we're off uh, for the holidays, as you know, and 
and we paid respects to veterans. I had the opportunity to be at the Capitol for for that as well. I didn't post that anywhere, but I I went uh, had the opportunity to be at the Capitol for the um, um, their veterans um, uh, recognition day. So that was kind of nice. They did quite a nice thing. So it's been a pretty busy week. How about yourself? I've I've seen a lot of stuff go down the last since our last show, and um, (laughs) some of it's catching me by surprise, some of it's not. Um, But a lot has happened that our listeners need to know. Um, I found a um, report or article in the Wall, not the Wall Street Journal, the World Socialist World, whatever it's called, the W. SWS, and it was right. talking yeah. about um, W International. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the article states that right now, as of today, this article was, was written a year ago, that okay. June 19, 2015. Um, it goes on to say that the UAW International maintains the same number of high-paid individuals, which says. 400, with only 400,000 members, as it did with 1.4 million members. That is um, very disturbing in my mind. Our our numbers have decreased. Their numbers have decreased. And also states that these individuals, these 800 individuals, all get a six figure salary. I knew by the Constitution we knew what the, the top leadership gets at the conventions. Get a rate there. They get pay increases at every convention. Um, more like seven or eight thousand dollars a year for each one of them. But on the same token, the rank and file members of the big three have gone backwards while these idiots I call them are continuing to get pay raises and they also increased our dues by every month by uh, sort of two hours a month pay it's two and a half hours a month pay mm-hmm. um, the the six-figure salary with the other parts of the staff really got me going on this one. Because um, I know some of them are there. I found the list of names. I found the names also had how much money they made a year. And i got to yeah. tell the listeners that um, some of these folks do not deserve to be up to the international. They're unqualified they're only there because they knew somebody or had family members who were there and speaks volumes within our ranks. We all know what's going on. And um, it's unacceptable. This article also goes on and talks about the UAW and GM have engaged in the last two decades a long experiment in industrial relations based on a labor management cooperation that transformed the union into the extension of corporate labor relations. Well, dissecting that, we know we know that this is true. The UAW is part of the uh, company, and they have been protecting the company's best interests more than they have the dues-paying membership who are officially their boss. We are their boss. And this is unacceptable. Um, And it goes on to say that um, in order to get the... um, international back on course would take a large reform or rebellion from the membership, which some of us 
have been talking for years about. I know I have. Um, Mr. Williams seems to speak out of both sides of his mouth in recent interviews with the Detroit News. Um, We've caught him in a few lies. And I've mentioned this before on another radio, and and Leroy, you you were there to hear it. I said that Mr. Williams, Mr. Settles, they suck, and that they should resign. Feel that way. I will repeat that message once again. Mr. Williams, Mr. Settles, Ms. Strata, Mr. Norwood, you guys are not doing your job. And I demand that you resign immediately. You do not work for us. Therefore, you should go. Put somebody else in there that will work for the membership, who will support uh, UAW locals who are on strike or lockout, because you guys ain't doing it. Ain't doing it at all. And for Mr. Williams going on live TV saying he's supporting Hillary Clinton, because that's she has our interests, our best interests. You know, she knows our, our issues. That's totally wrong. Mr. Sanders understands our issues. But that's my personal thing. Um, they just do a terrible, terrible job in the last 20, 30 years. And it's not getting better. And until the membership has had enough and it's getting close to that, things will, I hope it doesn't during my lifetime. I would really love to see that. But this whole article is just this amazes me on how much money these people are making up there at Solidarity House. Um, it's unacceptable. So you can find that on our Facebook page. I did put it on, on that. It's titled, Where Did Half a Billion Dollars Go? So please look it up and uh, read for yourself what was written a year ago about the Solidarity House. So that's about all I got now, Leroy. Um, okay. Well, you know, I mean, uh, those, those wages are pretty incredible. Uh, you exactly. know, when you're, you know, they haven't had stifled wages you know, or suppressed wages at all. Uh, they they continue to get their increases, you know, and mm-hmm. and the uh, rank and file has had their wages. You know, tier ones have been suppressed for, you know, almost uh, you know nine, nine years. years. They didn't have ten a years. raise. You know, ten. We'll yeah. say ten years. Yeah, didn't have a raise. And mm-hmm. the uh, you know the tier twos come in and and they come in at half wage. So you suppress those. And yet and still, the staff is getting paid just enormous amounts of money, as you said. You know, I think, you know, what's a staff, uh, regular staff job starts at, what, 118, something like that now? Something like that, 112, somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah, 112, okay, about 112, mm-hmm. we'll say, And because uh, I, I didn't look it up. But I know that I think the president's making 165, and the vice president's more than making that. like – 155. Well, that's their their base, and then they have all this yeah. this other stuff that's these add-ons that uh, are questionable as to whether they really do meet the uh, Constitution uh, uh, wages that they're supposed to be getting. Uh, uh, this uh, I know that they uh, the VBA actually did the first year report that they were getting. Something north of forty thousand, just under fifty thousand, as they served on the on the Viva board, and then that seemed to go away. And it's my understanding that that goes into a trust now. Uh, mm-hmm. As they retire, that's paid as as a, uh, a retirement bonus to them, and uh, that is money that they should be reporting because they wouldn't get it other other than the fact that they're in that position as the UAW uh, 
executive board uh, uh, leaders, you know, the top five that are on there. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is, this is uh, you know, things that are just really not supposed to be happening, you know. And uh, then there's the other question of where's that 30,000 coming from, 30-some thousand that, you know, over and above. It's the, they're now reporting for a while they didn't report it. 2011. So this, where'd that come from? You know, because it's not Viva money. Because the Viva's saying they're not paying them, but we know that that's being deferred money. And it's not direct. Uh, so it's being deferred into a trust, paid upon retirement. Uh, so this is uh, uh, just you know pretty much unacceptable. And these trust funds that have been set up, they should be fully disclosed. Uh, because it is part of their compensation, no matter how many times they say that they're in compliance with the UAW Constitution. Jeff, I really agree with you that not only are the the salaries uh, getting to be sort of obnoxious, but what they're doing behind the scenes with these little side deals uh, from the Viva and other things uh, are just incredible. Uh, and yeah. uh, we, we were, as you say, let's just have them resign and move on and we'll clean it all up and stop all of that stuff. There's too many people out there taking a look at that and they think they're going to get their hands into it now too. Uh, but, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're going to try and clean it up. That's what this team is going to do. So uh, having said that, uh, yeah, I, I agree with you, Jeff. They should just resign. I mean, they're just an embarrassment at this point, really. Uh, so, uh, having said that, I'll, I'll get into this. We're kind of on that same subject. You know, last week we had, had, uh, or two weeks ago, we talked about Dennis Williams complaining about this stuff going to Mexico, the assembly work going to Mexico. And, and it's right in, and we'll use Ford as an example. It's right in the Ford highlights on page seven. It says that, you know, operations will be moved to Mexico. In the highlights, mm-hmm. and, and he's complaining about it. I mean, this is in the contract that he negotiated or his team negotiated, and he surely should know the highlights, and it's in the highlights. I mean, we knew about it because we parsed 5,000 pages of contract language last fall, you know, and, and try to keep everybody appraised of what was going on. This isn't anything new. We report, we've reported on it and, and reported on it and reported on it. And here he is acting like it's something new that he didn't know anything about. Well, he negotiated it. And so that's, you know, a little redundant. But then then he comes out this past week and makes an endorsement. Now, let's just talk about this endorsement. What What is the purpose of an endorsement? To influence people to try and vote for the candidate that you've selected that's best for your membership. Okay. And that's a big process in that selection process to find out who you think is supposed to be best. Okay, and then you do it in a timely way so that your membership can be wrapping their head around it and thinking, yeah, this could be good for us. And they'll go ahead and vote, by and large, for you know somebody that you've said, hey, we, we think we can work with this person. We have uh, personal contact with them. If they have an issue, you know, we can maybe talk to them and sway them to our way of thinking uh, as opposed to some people that just won't even open their door to say hi to labor folk that are elected. Quite frankly, that's the the case. That's what I did for our union for a long while. Uh, Having said that, this this endorsement, 11th hour endorsement, uh, after most of the primaries are over, certainly Midwest primaries are over where you have your biggest influence. You have California coming up on on the 7th out in California. He's going to try and make an endorsement a week before the California primary, Jeff. And what do you think about that? I mean, yeah, he's making an endorsement. How many members do we have? I mean, we have, what, 15,000 of the graduate assistants there at the University of California. Mm -hmm. Uh, the Van Nuys plant, I think, is still uh, functioning there, uh, and maybe a couple small, smaller, smaller places. And you know, compared to the population of California, 
the influence that's being, you know, exerted in the California primary by this late hour UAW endorsement is negligible. It's simply not going to carry a lot of water or have a big effect in the California election. Why do it? Because all you did is make the people angry that were the Bernie supporters. For what? To try and sway, you know, maybe 20,000, we'll say 25,000 members in California that, that actually there, well, you know, we're giving 30,000. California's got, what, 10 million people in it? You know, and you've got yeah. 30,000 members that you think, you know, that may or may not vote and may or may not be dug in to, to Bernie or some other candidate. Okay, so, you know, and and then you say, all right, well, who who is our front in the presidential race? You know, and I'm not going to get too partisan in this, but if you have somebody saying that, Labor makes too much. Organized labor makes too much money right now. And quite frankly, in New York and in California, our, our Detroit three new temporaries, the, the, the people that are in the temporary status, start at minimum wage in that state, 40 cents above minimum wage, which minimum wage is now $15. Our temporary start forty cents above minimum wage. So how can we possibly be saying that we've that, that we're making too much money when the new people are starting at minimum wage? It's just you know I, I just unconscionable that first of all that that's even occurring, but then you got somebody saying we're making too much money, and our wage have been wages have been suppressed. So the buying power is about one tenth of what it was. 30 years ago. This is just really, really horrible. I mean, they've suppressed the wages so much. And there's a person that's running for office, and you all know who I'm talking about. Disrespectful person that thinks everybody that punches a time card or, or swipes a, 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 a card or a proximity card, or puts a thumbprint on something or whatever they're doing these days, trying to do is not is making too much money okay somebody that works for hourly rate is making too much money period that's this person's opinion okay and what did the UAW do to educate the membership to that regard to say you know uh, you know if this person thinks that about us we have two other candidates out here you know we don't have opinion on them yet but just, you know, think of, think of it in those terms. You know, you kind of go, you didn't do your job, Dennis Williams. You didn't educate anybody. You just come out and made an endorsement. You let, them, you let the guy that, that, that really doesn't, he just absolutely has disdain for working men and women. I mean, I was in a meeting here about a month and a half ago where these people wearing $5,000 suits were in it. And I got to tell you, Jeff, this this was just horrible, just absolutely horrible. The treatment that that the only other union person in the room who was on the panel and myself got. Okay, we were there in you know uh, probably three or four hundred dollar uh, you know dress uh, suit and jacket or jacket and slacks and. Everybody else is in $5,000 suits, and they just had disdain for us. Those people don't care about us. Believe me. I'm telling you, they don't care about us. Those folks wearing those kind of clothes could care less about us. And you look around and see what they do to us, and that is, is the people that we should not be supporting. Now, everybody's free to do what they want to do. But I'm going to tell you, there's a certain group of people that do support us, and there's another group that doesn't. And in some instances, you kind of wonder if so-called supporters of us support us all that well either. But we look at our own union and look what's going on there. So we got a lot of lot of work to do as to educating the leaders of the union and the leaders of the supporting party that's supposed to be out there for us. 
lot of work to do to get them to come back and start to to really get who we are and what we what we mean to them as working men and women. So, but having said that, he didn't educate anybody on the fact that Dennis Williams I'm talking about didn't or his team, none of them nor would the you know, I mean, the guy you can't even stand in front of a crowd down there in Toledo and and uh represent well you just get on there. How come you're mad at me? Oh, yeah. Well, take a look at what you wrote on paper and draw, draw, drew down here, drove down here to, to show us. You know, that's what they were mad about. You know, and they don't even know what's on the paper because they didn't realize that they were going to send work to Mexico. So, Dennis Williams, you're failing in negotiations. You're failing understanding the own con- own contract that you uh, have have. Uh, been out there uh, negotiating, and now you're failing in politics just horribly. This 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 decision to endorse in the eleventh hour to try and sway the one of the only primaries New Jersey's up, I guess, to uh, you know, but uh, you know they don't have the population of California. And how many members do we have in New Jersey? You know, I suppose we have some casino workers there and some others, but in, again, in the big scheme of things, your real numbers are in the Midwest, Dennis Williams, and you're trying to influence these primaries that really uh, are, you know, something that you can't have any impact on. You're just not going to, and the only thing you did is divide the membership even further, you moron, you know, and it's just horrible what you just did, because there are a lot of Bernie supporters. There's a lot of Hillary supporters. And because of your lack of action and lack of education, there's a lot of Trump supporters out there. And I'm not mad at anybody for doing what they think is right. But this man had an obligation to educate everybody as to who and what are our friends. And he did not do it. And I'm quite frankly getting pretty damn pissed about it. You know, I know you are, Jeff, because we, we have talks off offline and you know, this is just just horrible what what he just did to endorse at eleventh hour with no impact, no possible impact in the race, none. And now he's out here trying to tout this woman, uh, Hillary Clinton. I'm not mad at you, Hillary. You know, but we shouldn't be endorsing you at this eleventh hour if we didn't do anything before now. It's too late. Either stay out or get in early. Come in in here. You just pissed everybody off. Dennis, and that's not very good. Your cap dollars are going down. People are drawing right out because of you. And the people coming in behind you are going to have that much harder of a time to make this work because we do have to have influence on these political people. It's important. If you read the book, Sit Down, by a man by the last name of Fine, it goes into the sit-down strikes of 19. 37 that started New Year's Eve in 36, the plant that I hired into. When you read the book, there's not one single page that doesn't reference politics. So those of you that don't think politics are a part of our world, you're sadly mistaken. And we better be able to influence those people that get elected, no matter what party they're from. Quite frankly, there's a lot of a lot of people in, in uh, one of the parties that supposed to be our friend, you know, I'd I just kind of just as soon start a labor party myself, you know, but, you know, that's probably a long way off. There is a labor party, but I, they're not necessarily in all of our friends. But, you know, because we got two parties and they both seem we're one, one uh, uh, capitalist party with two wings in it. That's what it's seeming like lately, as well put by one of uh, our uh, friends uh, who brought that to my attention. So having said that, uh, getting back to Dennis, he's just just absolutely failed once again in all of this. I just cannot imagine that he did endorsed somebody this late hour to influence a race that he can't influence. He has little to no influence in California and New Jersey. And, yeah, we, we have membership there. But it isn't going to be that impactful in this primary. So it's just horrible, absolutely horrible, horrible that that he did this. And all he did was just piss off everybody. You know, whether you're a Trump fan, a a Hillary fan, or a Bernie fan, 
He, this late hour endorsement just absolutely, absolutely just had no, there's no good point to it whatsoever. And, you, you know, the people that are out here trying to actually impact politics in a positive way, and you stand there with your, you know, your, you know, with your head up your butt making a decision like this. And where were your people trying to, you don't even have a candidate in a primary in the 8th district right now. Where were your people to try and stop all this gaming by people that didn't know what they were doing? Uh, you used to have the authority to go in there and fix things when they got broken, and you didn't fix it. I had to go at least set it straight, but it's not fixed. That 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 challenge should have been withdrawn, and the woman allowed to have her her signatures and move forward. Nobody's going to win the race anyhow because it, they're just that it's so gerrymandered a district. We had a shot with with the woman with a lot of name ID, Melissa Gilbert, but that didn't work. So you got a lot of work to do, Dennis, and you didn't do a real good job here. I'm just absolutely pissed at you right now. I can't tell you how angry I am at you. You screwed up in the 8th District in Michigan. You screwed up in the doggone endorsement of the national race for prime, uh, for president by being so late and not educating the people early on. You're just a disaster. I'm with Jeff Resign now and stop the bleeding. Good Lord, man. You got anything to add to that, Jeff? We need to remind the listeners that the International had a huge meeting in Washington, D.C. back in January or February. All the locals were presented, presented there discuss who they were going to support in this year's election. And they didn't they came back home after wasting all that money getting people to Washington. And they just had no they said we ain't gonna choose choose anybody yet. And that's another gets my fear off is that they just waste so much money. I'm trying to do the right thing, but they always fail at it. You know, you, you said Michigan's uh, primary been over with. Ohio's primary was over with. He comes out support somebody. I agree with you, Leroy. Um, this this is not a union. It's a bad run company. Um, their their CEOs on on their own part. And I just I can't accept the fact that they know what the hell they're doing. Because they don't. They have not done anything good for the membership in many, many years. And we've seen plants shut down, people moving across country because the plant shut down are going to another plant to work. Um, second tier, uh, you name it. I mean, it's, this is totally out of hand. Totally out of hand. And it's not just the ones who are active or I don't go to any meetings because every month it's the same damn thing. All these different local committees try to get approval for money to go on a boondoggle. I can't take that no more. I would 20 some years of listening to the same people wanting to go to the same events every year. Wasted money. Mm-hmm. You know, for those who are a bit involved, we know what's going on, but it's the everyday guy and gal that work on the floor who may not know what's going on all the time. And, you know, we need to educate them. They need to get off their butts and stop criticizing the wrong people. You should be criticizing the incumbents at Solidarity House. You know, they are the ones that create this monster. And the only way to fix it, is like the article said, is a rebellion by the rank and file. I would really love to see that happen. 
I really right. was. Um, Mr. Williams, even Bob T, Yellowfinger, I mean, they did absolutely nothing for us. Nothing. Nothing at all. Our, our insurance co-pays have gone up. Our, our pay stayed the same for many years. Uh, and it's just despicable that this is a labor yeah. organization. And I'll tell you, I, it's just, I, it's, you're, you're right, Jeff. It's bad, real bad. I canceled my cap uh, donations years ago in 2010 because I was mad at the Democrats at that time because they held majority in both the House and the Senate and didn't do a damn thing for us. So I canceled I ain't going to support whoever the international supports who ain't going to help us out. Right. That's my I, view. I mean, I, we, we tried. I, one of the things we tried to get back in the early late 80s and early 90s was uh, anti-scab legislation. Right. That would stop stop the striker replacements, okay? And and we try to do that, and we had an absolute majority and a Democratic president, and and we had a majority in both houses, in the House and the Senate, Democratic president, name of Clinton, between '92 and '94, and they did not go after that, and we all just were just aghast. Why aren't we going mm-hmm. after that to level the playing field? Because What's going on here, you know? And he chose not to go ahead and uh, try and get that. Now, with a Democratic president, we needed like one, one or two votes to, to get closure, to overcome, get closure so they could stop the, the filibustering on the anti-scab legislation. And with Democratic president, you could sway a couple of senators that you two that you needed to go ahead and get it, mm-hmm. and he didn't didn't do it. You know, I mean, I really hold that against Bill Clinton. I think that's the biggest thing that hurt Democrat or working men and women in my lifetime. In my lifetime, that that's the biggest thing that hurt us. One that this Davison guy, second is a Davison guy that brought it up because he found a loophole in the the National Labor Relations Act, and Davison was the owner of the Detroit Pistons, so that everybody knows. Mm-hmm. And he was the first one to, to, first one to use that uh, striker replacement law loophole. So uh, up to then, we could have a strike and, you know, have some impact. We never got anything without having a strike. Okay, We've never gotten any real traction without a strike, ever. Okay, we always had to withhold in order to get a little more. And then we got to a certain point and we got, well, maybe we don't need any more. And then they started suppressing wages on us again. Okay, and then we didn't have the power because that law, loophole in the law, and then this uh, uh, Clinton didn't try and to change that. And, of course, we had another opportunity under Obama, as you just aptly pointed out, to go ahead and try and get that in there, although – the majority that in the Senate was just a simple one or two person majority, and it made it a lot harder because we actually had about 60 or 63, 63 de- Democrats in the Senate when Clinton first took over. It was a substantial mm-hmm. majority, you know, and we only needed a few to get closure. So that was the time to do it. I don't know that we could have got it under Obama because it was, you know, the, the Senate was really, they, they had to get 20 more votes out of the Republican side, and there's just such di- division these days that uh, I don't know if we'd have got that. But there's things that they could have gotten past, you know. I mean, he couldn't. At the same time, he's having trouble appointing National Labor Relations Board people, you know, for that committee. So it's just it's just sad. Um, uh, on, let's move forward here on our agenda a little bit. Uh, we got couple more things to talk about, folks. Uh, uh, there was some question on one of the Facebook pages about equalization of hours. Now, I'll use the paragraph 71 of the General Motors Agreement, but Ford and Chrysler or the FCA now still have the same language in there effectively. Now, 
what paragraph 71 provides for is equalization of hours with, within a group in uh, a department, uh, classification in, in a department. So if you have a number of welder hand and, hand and arc that are non-skilled and you have some uh, material handlers or pro product handlers or some assemblers, um, some job setters, a set a group of job setters, whatever you might have, truck drivers uh, in your department, then in, within their department, within their classification, there's pro provisions under the national agreement that they have equalization of hours. Now, having said that, the national agreement set also says that that will be done at the local union level, that the local parties uh, will establish the equalization of hours policies and procedures. And that's different than in every single union, local union. I've been a member of four, and, and they had little different nuances in all four. Uh, you know, I've been in a, uh, one of the plants. Every job in the plant was what's called a non-interchangeable occupation. So you couldn't change into another group easily, you know, uh, it was just very uh, next, next to impossible. There was a flow chart for reduction in force, but uh, that was a completely different equalization of hours procedure than what was at Chevrolet Flint Manufacturing, where the Pioneer Hall of the UAW, where I hired into the building where the sit-down strikes began. And that procedure was much different. Now, some local unions, I'm told, currently do not allow uh, temporaries to equalize hours. Now, I'm not sure that goes along with the, 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 the intent of the paragraph 71 equalization of hours in the national agreement, but it is their local policy not to have temporaries equalization of hours, and that's set by the local. Whether or not that complies with the internet or the national agreement is another argument, but if it is the local policy, that's what you have to go by. Everybody that hires into a facility, a new plant, is given a classification. Everybody. If you're temporary or you're permanent, whatever you are, you are given a classification because the federal government pretty much requires that. In fact, if they had an accident and had an OSHA uh, safety report they had to fill out. They one of the first questions on that we get those reports is what was their classification during the time that this accident occurred, and what classification were they working in during the time that this accident occurred. So those questions have to be answered, and they they better have had a classification assigned to them. We all have we don't ever see them, but we all have turnaround documents. And it has all of our work for whatever we did throughout our career. Follows you from plant to plant. Turn around document, tell you every job you ever had. And the wage that you made when you had that job. So, uh, and those are the classifications that you're assigned. So, everybody's got a classification. Their status is, whether they're, you know, temporary or a new hire or a Tier one, otherwise called a legacy worker. And I'll tell you something, that in and of itself shouldn't be because we should just have this, um, you know, new hire that you get your 90 days within a 180-day time frame and you ought to get hired in. In other words, start at the, the low low rate of 70% uh, 70, 70 of the Tier one wages and then move up over time, whatever that time frame. It started, it was 90 days when when I hired in. It was up to three years at one point, and now it's like forever <laughs> to get, and it's eight years now to get to there, or six years to get from tier two to tier one status. And so that's just, uh, it's unacceptable that that's going on. Tier, these temporaries and the tiers are even in, in existence as they exist, but... 
having said all of that, uh, regarding the, the paragraph, you know, the equalization of hours, it's not by seniority. Okay, you can, if they choose locally, exclude the temporaries. You know, again, that's arguable whether it complies. They can exclude them. Uh, but other than that, by the national agreement, you're supposed to have an equalization of hours procedure for those that are in the equalization hours uh, situation. So, uh, in your in your department and in, within your classification, now, those are then set by the local parties. Uh, you know, and that comes in with your local agreement. So, uh, it's not by seniority. I promise you, these are not done by seniority. They may exclude the temporaries should they choose to do that. I don't think that's right, but if that's what they've decided, then they can do that. You know, somebody might make in some sort of an appeal on that, but uh, that's if that's where it is, then that's where it is. But it's not by seniority. It's by equalization of hours, and that's set by the national agreement and established locally by their policies and procedures. So I just want to clear that up. You got anything to add on that, Jeff, and maybe on your own? Oh, you're exactly you right. Tell. It does go. Management uh, controls how many and how much overtime is involved, and it's the union's position on who gets to work that, those hours in that work. So that's basically the idea of the whole thing. Uh, and so your, your overtime equalization is different from plant to plant, from company to company. Um, and, yeah, it, with all the moving going around the last 10 years, there's been some problems because people are, are used to having things done in their old plant when they go to the new plant. It's different, and it causes some some heated discussions sometimes. Um, but like you said, it is what it is, and that's what the locals are supposed to be doing, setting up right. who and how. And- Right, and and I got to reiterate, I, I was a member of four different local, at four different local unions. Every policy was different, okay. But but at no none of those were they based on seniority because the national agreement says it's by hours, equalization of hours, not by seniority. Yep. So just to clear that up a little bit, okay. And I know I'm making people mad, but that's just the way it is. Uh, that's the contract, and that's what we have to abide by, and that's what a good committee person would tell you. So I haven't said that. Our, our last item, and we're getting close on time, but we did want to talk about the Canadian Auto Workers uh, Unifor Auto Division, I guess they actually call it uh, uh, the uh, uh, yeah, Unifor's Auto Council has met. And that's the old Canadian auto workers, and they begin negotiations. There's uh, this this week, I guess they met. Uh, you got anything to say on that, Joe? Uh, they uniform started up last summer, I believe. They uh, left the CAW and, and joined with another big union up in Canada, and they're heading to contract talks with Detroit Three, and they are looking to. Um, product for the Canadian workers. Um, they want some demands, and likely so. And I hope it works out for them. And I believe Canada still has uh, a law saying there's no strike replacements allowed, or scabs, as you would call them. I think that's the law in Canada, unless it's changed right. since the last time I heard Right. Uh, and that's good for the workers. The workers. Um, so we wish them a lot of luck and hope they get what they want. Because right. times are bad. Uh, exactly. They uh, little history on it. Uh, in September of 1985, the the Canadian auto workers split from the UAW. They were a part of us. They were part of the UAW called the Canadian Auto Workers, CAW. And because of some uh, perceived and probably real, I, I, I know the story, so I guess it was real, 
between Bieber and the Canadian auto workers, uh, the uh, CAW felt that there was no longer solidarity between us, and they chose to withdraw and go on their own as Canadian auto workers. That was 30 years ago. They had their little 30-year anniversary of that last September in 2015. Uh, So while... Uh, Jerry Diaz, the president of Unifor, the CAW, like you said, Jeff, they uh, uh, merged with the CAW, uh, with CAW merged with Unifor. It's now the like the AFL is here, only they actually uh, look, have, have got the auto workers right underneath them. It's just a division of Unifor now, not a separate entity. Uh, so, uh, their council, the Auto Workers Council, the Unifor, is, is taking this on. But uh, they, they merged here a couple of years ago. I, mean, I think it was uh, before the 2014 uh, Con- Constitutional Convention for the UAW, because Jerry Diaz spoke at that. Uh, Jerry is their head of Unifor over there. And then there's an Auto Workers Council from Unifor, Auto Workers Council. So uh there's you know i don't know that there's much of an olive branch there they did have them at the uh from the uaw to the to unifor but they had jerry there and he spoke at the con con last uh in june 14. having said that uh they're in the midst of their negotiations and we haven't heard anything out of our illustrious leaders saying that they support everything that they're trying to get. And their number one item in Canada is to maintain the jobs they have and to uh, repatriate some of the work that they've lost. So keeping jobs is their number one goal at this time. Keeping jobs in Canada is their number one goal. And as as Jeff said, uh, if they do go out on strike, there will not be any scabs coming in they'll just be out trying to resolve their issue and we need to you know i think the uaw needs to be supporting them and letting everybody know that we support them to the degree that we can because you're not supposed to have you know a secondary strike or anything like that but at the same time we need to be offering them whatever support possible and it should be vocal not just something behind the scenes. Everybody needs to know we're unified with our brothers and sisters in Canada. Even though we're not affiliated right now, doesn't mean we shouldn't be supporting them. You know, and we're not hearing anything out of Dennis or the other four up there, you know, the five horse five horse people, because we do have one woman. You know, there used to be the four horsemen of the apocalypse. I guess we got five in our union. So four horsemen and one woman. So, but it's just uh, astounding that that we can't do the proper thing all the time, or as much of all the time as necess- as possible. Where they're in the midst of this, okay? What are they doing? They're just sitting around down there and 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 uh, uh, having a big party down there at the Solidarity House. They're not paying attention to nothing. Except, you know, people like Jeff and myself and others that are trying to be, you know, pointing out what they're doing bad down there. So I guess we just, you know, we got some real serious problems with with this leadership down there. Uh, Jeff, uh, you, you got any more on, on uh, Unifor and the, the Canadian auto workers up there? No, that's about all I have. Um, okay. All right. Anything else you want to talk about, Jeff? Well, there is some, last I heard, there were some major protests in France lately um, where workers were demanding um, better pay, more job security. I think they're also protesting some of the trade agreements. So there was some uprising in France two weeks ago, I think. I don't know if it's still going on or not, but... um, Seems like every country in the is having a major protest over these trade agreements um, and workers 
improving workers' uh, conditions. I just don't understand why uh, our our American uh, workers don't do the same. Um, instead, we're pointing fingers at each other, trying to blame each other for what Washington is doing to us, and that's got to stop because um, they're winning. They're not big guys who who own the country, like George Carlin says, they own you. And and we got to stand up and start fighting back. So that's all I have. Yeah. So that, uh, you you mentioned George Carlin. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm working for a living. Facebook page. Jeff posted uh, about a three-minute. Is it three minutes long or is it thirty? Three seconds? I can't remember. Three, three, three minutes. minutes long. Three minutes of George. It's it's probably one of the most poignant things he ever said. As as I mean, he was an incredible man to begin with, but it's one of the most important poignant three minutes and foretelling three minutes of his career, his esteemed career. And if you get the chance. If you're not a member, come and join our page so that you can take a look at that video that Jeff posted. It's worth your three minutes' time to listen to that because it talks about, years ago, it talks about what's happening today in the labor movement and how we're owned by the leadership, the billionaires of this country. And they own politics, they own the companies, they own us. Okay, and if if we don't stand up as a unit nationwide, we're gonna be in serious trouble pretty soon. You know, and and Jeff, you, thank you for putting that up there. I tell you, I I watched it two or three times already, and every time I just get more and more motivated for what we're doing here on this show, and showing mm-hmm. people what what time of day it is. Thank you. We we do we keep the stuff that's on that page pertinent to labor, okay, working men and women, whether you're, you know, a union person or a non-union person. And much like here, you know, we do have a focus on the UAW and things, but we do talk about other non-union things. We're supporting the, the prevailing wage. That's you know, helps non-union as well as union people. So, uh, and that's supporting our, our brothers in the building trades and sisters in the building trades. So we we trying to help as best we know how here. So, but having said that, uh, um, uh, you know that's uh, real. It's worth your time to see that video, uh, and maybe we ought to just start talking about doing some some things regarding the the uh, uh, protest against these trade agreements because they are just horrible. We talked about them a couple of weeks ago, you know, about a month ago on the show and. It's worth going back and taking a look at that that show and, and just listening to it because we did some in-depth stuff on that. Um, that's about uh, all all I have to say, and and uh, we'll start wrapping up. And Jeff, we're a little long tonight, but kind of knew that because we had a lot of stuff in this show because we didn't have a show last week because we uh, remembered and revered our veterans. Uh, so uh, having said that, our, our email address is workingforaliving at workingforaliving.com. We, we uh, encourage you to send your emails. We get them every now and then. But um, please uh, consider sending us something if you've got an uh, opinion on it. We'll, we'll say it. Uh, on the uh, Blog Talk Radio, you can follow us. You can hit follow and, and pick the show up, uh, you know, anytime uh, that, you know, uh, that you want, uh, and, it, and it does turn into a podcast after the show is done tonight, and you can listen to it virtually any time in the future, but, you know, throughout the week, if you want to listen to it at your leisure, that's also possible. Uh, if you found value in what the show said tonight or any other show, just tell just one person, and if you tell one, and then eventually they tell one, and pretty soon the message starts getting bigger and bigger, and, you know, it's we think we're really, you know, offering you some good information. And if you have any suggestions, just let us know. We're happy to consider those for you. Uh, um, you know, I want to shout out to all of our, our friends around the country. You know, I mean, in Brook Park, Ohio, Flat Rock, 
Michigan, Tonawanda, New York, Lordstown, Ohio, Flint, Michigan, Pontiac, Michigan, Detroit, Lansing, Toledo. Shout out to Chicago. We're having some trouble down there. I hope you guys do okay. Our thoughts and prayers are with you. Kansas City, St. Louis. Shout out to Wentzville. Shout out to Arlington, Texas. Chattanooga, Tennessee. To skilled trades there. Doraville, Tennessee. Down there by Georgia. Uh, Santa Cruz, California out there. To you, uh, uh, very loyal uh, graduate assistants out there at the University of California. We love you out there. Uh, and everyone else around the country and the world who listens in. Thank you very much. But having said that, I'll say good night and stay safe. Good night, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night, Jeff. Good night.